Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. 1 Timothy chapter 6, we'll read verses 3 through 10. Says the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. But he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You know, boys, there are other times for you to be loud, too, and that's when we say thanks be to God. I want to hear you above everybody else. If the loudest thing in your life is saying kiaz, something's wrong, right? I could care less about your kiaz, but I want you to worship the Lord with strength, right? Now, the reason, unfortunately, you know, I'll beat a dead horse. I'm very happy to beat a dead horse. Um, the reason our sons don't sing loud is their fathers don't sing loud. Their fathers mumble through worship. And that should not be, right? Let's give them a good example. Let's, um, let's obey the Psalms when it says um, that our music should be loud, right? Our music should be loud. And certainly that which comes from our voice should be strong. So last time, this is the third time we come back to this passage. Last time we focused on contentment. The Apostle Paul puts it very starkly, if, if we have food and covering with, with these, we shall be content. Those are convicting words. Um, why, why can the Christian be content with so little? Um, because they've acquired Jesus. Because they've acquired eternal life in Jesus Christ. They have the Holy Spirit. They have an inheritance that can't be stolen, that can't be corrupted. Right, and so in this life we can be content with just with food and covering. Today we focus on those last couple of verses that warn Christians about the love of money. Desire to get rich is the ruin of many Christians, uh, of many pastors, of many uh, of many persons. Right, think of the men or women you have heard about who won millions in the lottery. Think of the stories you've read about those who went from poverty to riches, um, thinking it would change their lives for the better, give them more comfort, give them more security, give them um, 
better, better times in this life, but it only led to intense conflict with their families, right? It, it led to drama. It led to terrible self-indulgence. It led to, to great unhappiness and even led, in many cases, to their deaths. You can read story after story about that online. Um, we, we assume, as Americans taught by our media and taught by our HDTVs, that money brings happiness, or that there can't be happiness without money. Perhaps that's truer. Um, you know, and, and we stop and we say, so what's not to love about money? What's not to love about money? It can bring me everything I want. It can bring me, uh, it, can, it can make me a faithful provider, right? It can, it can bring me all the security that I need. Like Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, and he means this as an observation about how man lives his life under the sun and not simply as an axiom of what is true. He says this, men prepare a meal for enjoyment and wine makes life merry and money is the answer to everything. And, and we're like, amen, brother. That is certainly how it appears, doesn't it? The rich man buys his freedom from jail after committing certain crimes. Uh, the connected and the rich politician has special rules that, you know, that exempt him or her from certain laws. Uh, money appears to be the answer to everything. So thinks the natural man before his eyes are opened up to the riches of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. There comes a time when money's power ends. Right, for we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. There's, there comes a time when, when that money and that power come to an end. So we take up, or I take up, verses 9 and 10. The Holy Spirit warns us that those who want to get rich are headed for trouble. Very simple, very simple thing. Those who want to get rich are headed for trouble. What characterizes the man who wants to get rich? It certainly is not the presence of riches, usually. <laughs> right? Some rich men live to get richer, and so we could put them into this category. They would fall in this. But the man who wants to get richer is a poor man. Or even more likely, is the man who considers himself to be a poor man. In order to fulfill his desire, he often schemes. Right? He moves from plan to plan in order to hit it big, in order to make money quickly. He plays the lottery, throwing away the wealth that God has given him for odds that are very much against him. Right? He is discontent, not at all considering it enjoyable or possible to be content with just food and covering. Right? That, that is just, in his mindset, food and covering not nearly enough. His life is centered not on God, not on family, not on God's blessings and provisions, but simply on the acquiring of more money. Um, having what is needed for the daily necessities is not enough. Uh, he wants to get rich. He wants to get rich. He's a man filled with envy and covetousness. That's what motivates a man to, be, to desire to be rich. He's filled with envy and covetousness. He looks on the rich and thinks they have it all. They have all the glory. They get all the boasts. They have all the contentment. 
all the comfort that they need. He wants what he thinks the rich man has with his wealth. Eternal life has no attraction to the man who wants to get rich because comfort in this life, having his good things in this life, is what occupies every one of the things he does, every one of his meditations. He wants to get rich not merely to have stuff. Though material is is certainly a, a part of it, he wants to get rich so that he can buy himself out of or into any situation he faces. Right? He wants to get rich in order to have the respect of others. He wants to get rich in order to have comfort and ease and good health care and, and copious amounts of insurance. In short, he wants to get rich so that he can be his own God. He wants to be his own God so that he doesn't have to depend on anyone else or certainly not depend on this unfair God of heaven. Right To have to depend on God is humiliating to the rich. It's humiliating to have to depend upon God for the rich man or for the man who wants to get rich. He looks upon the poor and their prayers and their faith and their reliance upon God as, as humiliating weakness. Right? He does not want to depend upon God. And when we put it like that, our own faithfulness and our own desire for money and our own want for riches sort of comes pouring in, doesn't it? We do not want to have to depend upon God. We do not want to have to depend upon God. We would rather depend upon money. We would rather depend upon that which we can see than that which we can't see. Right? I, I can easily access my money, and it allows me to take care of almost any situation. Doesn't it? I mean, it, it helps me to take care of most things. Without it, without it, our dependence really starts to creep in, doesn't it? We are dependent on family, and we don't like to be dependent on our families. We are dependent on the church and her deacons, and we just don't like to be dependent on the church and her deacons. And, and we don't like it because we don't like to be out of control. At times, it makes us be dependent upon the state, and we certainly don't like to be dependent upon the state. We simply don't like to wait, though, on the Lord, do we? We read what the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, and we wonder at these words, right? Paul speaks of contentment in both poverty and prosperity, and the key comes in the last verse. He is not wanting to be rich when poor, and he is not wanting to lack dependence on God when he prospers. He writes, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In, every, in, every, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need, And then he says these words that get tattooed on MMA men's biceps. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Right? And that's not talking about battle in the octagon. That's talking about contentment, which is a far harder thing to get than to make somebody tap out. Right? 
So Paul had learned to depend upon God for his strength. He does not depend upon money for his strength. He knows that riches are fleeting and only give the illusion of power. He knows that poverty is also fleeting as he finds strength in God outside of wealth. Right now, the Apostle Paul says that those who want to get rich do what? They fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. So they fall into three things which lead to their ruin and destruction. Temptation, a snare, and foolish and harmful desires. Temptation, snare, and desires. Now think about those things. These people fall into temptation. They are trapped. They fall first into temptation. The temptation comes and they enter into that temptation. They want the riches. Then they're trapped. A snare is a trap, right? Trapped in this system that they have to keep up. They continue on then with destructive desires, right? Their desires for what is not good increase and increase and increase, right, as they're trapped in that snare. They give themselves over to a sin. They're trapped, and then their very desires are determined by that sin. Do we know the word avarice? I mean, we don't use that word anymore. It's a word that's dying. Avarice. We don't use it much, it's, but it's a word that stands, um, that means disordered and uncontrolled desires, Disordered and uncontrolled desires. Avarice is um, an extreme greed for wealth, an extreme greed for material possessions. Some men fall into avarice, but, but we are all exposed to certain temptations because we are born in sin. So as Calvin puts it, think of this. Hear what he's saying. Our lusts don't keep good measure. Our lusts don't keep good measure. Right? When we begin longing for something, it's hard for us to rein that in, and it just doesn't keep a good measure. It grows and grows. Um, our lusts, our desires don't stay controlled unless they are put to death by the Spirit. How can we think that a man would be untouched by the temptation to be rich when we are continually sending messages that riches save? We're continually hearing message, messages that money is what life is all about, right? We're all under this temptation. We are all under this temptation. Some of us have entered into that temptation. Others have entered into that temptation and then have been trapped in that snare and now have been rewired to desire money above, yes, above God. And so I think there's a progression here that Paul is talking about some go from giving into temptation, which all of us face, to entrapment, to changed and disordered desires. I think this certainly applies also, as an aside, to another category of person that's, that is described and self-described according to the desires, those who are tempted by homosexuality. Many face this temptation give into it, allowing their minds to be stimulated by physical images or physical contact. Then they become trapped in that sin, going after it with more abandoned. Then they find that all of their affections, their entire being, is wrapped up in their desires for that one thing. They begin to see themselves as that desire. 
That is why it's now referred to as same-sex attraction rather than sodomy. It's about desire, not about action. But this holds true for the inordinate desire for money. One can enter into temptation, which faces all of us, become entrapped, and finally all that matters is wealth. All that matters is money. Every desire you have arises out of that one desire for money. And the Apostle Paul doesn't mince words. Those who go that way, temptation, entrapment, messed up desires, are on a path to destruction. They're on a path to ruin and destruction. They are plunged into the deep end of destruction, right? Ruin and destruction, it seems to be rather redundant, those two words meaning the same thing. But in Greek, this, this repetition just likely means utter, utter destruction. Or we would say spiritual destruction, not merely physical. And of course, we already know and have in mind what our Savior said about the rich man. After the rich young ruler leaves Jesus because he owned much, do you remember what he said? He said, truly I say to you, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. This is why we must be concerned about the things we desire. Right? They entrap us and further pervert our desires. We go from bad to worse. As a young man, it would have been good for me to learn more self-control. Simple things from what I ate to what I spent my time on. If I had, if I had, had that self-control, then I would have been trained in self-control. And, and ultimately would know how to then begin opposing myself. Opposing my appetites, opposing my desires that arise from my sinful nature. God gives you, now think about this also, God gives you the wealth you have, little or much. God gives you the wealth you have, little or much, to use of them so long as it pleases him. He will let you use them so long as it pleases him. He may increase them, he may take them away, but you are called to be faithful in using that wealth to his glory and not slacking your dependence on him with what he has given you, right? He would never give you money in order for you to, to lighten your dependence upon him. He desires to relieve your burdens, but he does not desire to relieve your dependence. The rich man should still be praying this, give us this day our daily bread. Even the rich man should be praying that. Right Now the text turns to the statement that we hear quite often, even within our pagan culture. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And this is a very simple statement. When we love something that God tells us not to love or depend upon or trust in that thing, that misdirected love, which should be God's alone, will open us up to many other sins. We long for that which God has said, don't long for this. It opens us up to many other sins. Calvin, Calvin in his sermon on this, puts it this way. He says, how then does St. Paul say that covetousness is the root of all evils? He means that there is no evil but covetous brings or can bring it. As, for example, cannot hatred, envy, 
unfaithfulness, perjury, treason, violence, poisoning, corruption. Cannot all these things come from covetousness? For a man who seeks to enrich himself will first of all be given wholly to himself, insomuch as he will forget his neighbors and make no count of anyone but himself. He is so carried away that it is to no purpose to talk to him of right and just dealing. He cares for nothing but his own profit. He eats and wastes other men's substance. He spoils all. Thus we see in what sense St. Paul said that covetousness, this desire for money, is the root of all evils. <clears throat> right? We're warned not to uh, love the things of the world, aren't we? The Apostle John puts it in very stark terms. We do not love the things... Do not love the world nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. An inordinate love of money, which is perhaps ground zero of loving the world, right? It seems that everyone who loves the world loves money. And it, it, that leads to many other sins. Love of God is the only kind of love that leads to selflessness. Right, an ability to put others higher than yourself, to care for others because in so doing we're serving Jesus Christ. But the love of money, that leads to utter selfishness. Right? It leads to competition, which leads to ungodly ambition, which leads to cheating, which leads to embezzling, which leads to lying, which leads to murder. To serve money is to serve an unfeeling idol that simply demands more. To serve money is to serve self as God, self as idol. It is a proclamation to the world and to God himself that, that I can do it myself. I can do this myself. I've got this under control. Solomon, again, in Ecclesiastes writes, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This, too, is vapor. Love of money does not lead to satisfaction. Why can we not get that into our skulls? We can't. The love of money. Money does not bring satisfaction. Why can't we? Because the message of every commercial we watch is that this, this product comes with satisfaction. Right? Finally, comfort, respectability, peace in the world with the right potato chip. Right, with the Lexus. Turn in the Toyota for the Lexus. Because the message of every one of our politicians and our government is that wealth, probably wealth and education, but let's keep it to wealth. Wealth is the answer to every problem. Shift around money, make sure everybody has enough, and all societal problems will melt away. But that that's a material answer, we know, to a spiritual problem. Animosity between people is a spiritual problem, and ending poverty cannot end a sin problem. Money will not lead to satisfaction, even though all of our universities will tell us differently. Get educated so that you can make money and therefore become a productive part of society. The gospel of Jesus Christ comes into that mindset and tears it apart. Right? Satisfaction comes in God alone. God alone. Satisfaction comes in loving God, in knowing Him, knowing His Son, having the Spirit abiding within us. God, 
God above all other things. And that love to God is all that matters. And it doesn't matter whether you are educated or uneducated, rich or poor, um, black or white, east side or west side, handsome or ugly, right? Um, White, yellow, red, black. Those things mean nothing at all. Um, If you love money, all those worldly distinctions are going to nag you. You'll You'll have to get in the race. You'll have to prove your worthiness. If you love God, all those worldly distinctions melt away. You have Jesus Christ, and you will have his righteousness, and then money will take its proper place. It's a proper place. I often say that our idols are cruel masters. Right? Our idols are cruel masters. Why do I say, what do I mean when I say that our idols are cruel masters? Well, there's only one good master, one good, good Lord, and that's Jesus Christ. When he is the one we serve, we have his love put upon us and, and put in us. And we acknowledge his provision. We acknowledge that he's provided for us. Our peace is tangible because it's given by an omnipotent ruler. But our idols are not like that. They're cruel masters. They cannot give us love. They can't give us provision. They can't give us protection. They can't give us peace. They demand all of our attention, more drugs, more money, more possessions, more education, more wins, and give us nothing in return but the demand for more. More, 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 more. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. Those who make them will become like them, everyone who trusts in them. Trust in money. Make money your one love, make money your idol, and you become like money. What does that mean? What is money like? It's numbers on a piece of paper. Less often, it's, it's gold or silver or stocks or bonds or bills and coins. It does not speak. It does not feel. It does not care for others. It comes and it goes. It pays bills. It buys pleasures. In other words, money is able to bring things in this world, but it has no profit for eternal life. So to become like money is to only care about this world. It is, it is the salvation that this world offers. This is why the Apostle Paul wrote that those you know, who love the things of the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Love of money leads to a disregard for the life to come. That's ultimately what will happen to every rich man. He will not care about the life to come. How many rich men do you know that live only for this life? It is only too common. And it's not just rich men. It's people who love money. Many people love money, and so they just live for this world, whether they have much or little. The apostle writes, For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. For that man to trust in the providential care of God is too much. He'd rather trust in his wealth For that man to serve God is too much. 
He'd rather trust in his bank account. For that man to serve God, it's way too abstract, right? He'd rather love his money, which is, which is under his power and in his hands, right? Dear brothers and sisters, we are not at all immune to this temptation. All of us think that having a little more money would give us the comfort and freedom of mind to, to what? To trust God less. <coughs> to know our comfort in this life, to have our boast among those reunion classmates, right? And before we know it, before we know it, that love of money becomes our wandering away from the faith and we pierce ourselves with many griefs. Money is a cruel master that will demand all your time all, and give you nothing in return, nothing substantial. What person thinks he can buy eternal life with his money? All rich men do. All rich men do. All those who love money think that they can buy eternal life. They think by their petty benevolence they can put God in their favor. They think by their money they can buy technology, right, that will make them last forever, even if it's a very, very cold world. They think they are invincible, or at least they are willing to live that lie. Our trust, though, is in the Lord. Right? Is our trust in the Lord? Our trust is in the Lord. Is that true of us? Is God our first love? Would we rather have money than God? Would we rather have money than God? Do we envy the rich? Why in the world would a Christian envy those who love money? Why in the world would a Christian envy the rich? The reason we envy those who love money is that we, have, we too have minds that are set on the things of this earth rather than are set on Above, the scripture is filled with warnings to rich people and lovers of money. Even though scripture is filled with it, we still live in an ocean of money. Right? We forget that we breathe money all the time as Americans. We think that we can serve God and money equally. Right? But that's not true. We cannot serve God and money. What results exactly what the apostle Paul has written here. You're going to wander away from the faith and know many griefs. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. In other words, we're called not to hold God and money together, but we're called to love and be devoted to God exclusively while hating and despising the other, money. You can't have two masters. You love one and despise the other, so get those right. Which one do we love? God and we despise money. We should hate what money does to ourselves. We really should. We should hate what money does to our minds, the attention that it draws upon itself. We should hate what money does to other people. We should really despise it. Do we? Do we show favoritism to the rich? And by that, reveal our own devotion to money. Do we envy those with money? And by that, reveal our own devotion to money. I would just say, be careful. Be careful. Some, by longing for money, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. At the end of the ages, when they stand before God's judgment seat, awaiting their entrance into eternal life, or eternal punishment, they will suddenly realize that their trust was absolutely foolish. That their love was unrequited. Right? And that their ambition led them to hell. 
and that they hated God for nothing. They hated God for nothing that could save them. So let us learn to put our affection on God, not upon money or any other created thing for that matter. May our contentment be born from faith. Contentment born from faith and trust in God and not in any created thing away from God himself. Let's pray. Our Father, we we don't hear anything when it comes to money. I'm afraid we didn't hear anything today from your word. We have so much wealth. We have so much money. We have so much demand upon our wealth and our money. We have so much boasting in this. We have politicians who are greedy. We have a nation that has sold sold out the, the, the wealth of our great-great-grandchildren. Father, we're trillions of dollars in debt. We spend and we spend and we spend, and in it we find our contentment. And so we just don't hear what your word says about money. And everybody's correcting in their mind. It doesn't speak about money. It speaks about the love of money. Oh, Father, I pray that you would help us to to be sober-minded when it comes to wealth. That If we do inherit from our parents, which is a good thing, that we would not be overcome by that wealth, but that we would, we would treat it as a serious responsibility that could potentially make shipwreck of our faith. Father, if we are blessed by wealth, I pray that we would have, that we would be generous and so hold to it loosely and not tightly. I pray that our dependence would be upon you and not upon what you've given to us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.